0: Hi, my name is Kunal and welcome to the Geeks of the Valley podcast, which connects with some of the brightest minds globally who are leading their respective industries today to discuss the hottest upcoming industry trends and how their work is affecting the global economy. What started off as a coffee chat has now grown into a global platform for visionaries this morning from the San Francisco Bay area. We have partners Dave Goldblatt and Tim Ryan joining us today from Vibe Capital. Prior, Dave was ex-product and operations at Facebook and built a social audio company called WaveChat. Tim, on the other hand, founded a health tech startup, which was acquired, has been involved in Web3 and cryptography by helping launch an exchange, and was part of the founding team at Zepp Labs. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us today. How are things with you?
1: Great, thank you. Doing well, a little under the weather, but overall pretty good.
0: What are your thoughts on the recent events in the crypto space in relation to FTX? Ah,
2: this is Dave here. Overall, I think it's a huge distraction from the longer term vision and mission and value add that crypto and Web3 has to offer. If you if you dive a little bit deeper, uh, all the decentralized platforms have worked entirely as expected, and this is just a centralized scam run amok under the pretenses of crypto and Web three.
1: Yeah, and Tim, this is Tim here. Just from my perspective, you know, I I think a lot of this is actually good for the industry because it brings a lot of oversight and regulation, which was much much needed and specifically in the U S because outside of the U S there's a uh, uh, little less rules and regulations and things kind of flow more freely, but here in the capital markets in the U S like we have securities laws and things like that. And, you know, government bodies like the sec. And, and a lot of that will be kind of addressed in the coming months and years ahead. So, you know, overall I'd say, you know, something to be aware of, but we'll see what comes of it.
0: So uh, jumping into the first question here, shall we? Yep. Uh tell me about yourself and your background and how it led to both of you of building vibe capital together.
2: Sure. Yeah, Tim, you wanna you wanna go first?
1: For sure. Yeah. Uh so my background's pretty entrepreneurial. I was at a sports tech company coming out of school. Uh it's called Zepp Labs down in the South Bay here in the Bay Area. I, I grew up in the Bay Area, did my undergrad here, and then I did uh grad school over in Europe, but Coming back, you know, you see kind of the dot-com one and just it, it's all technology all the time. So I uh, got involved in kind of a sports tech startup that was doing sensors, MEMS, gyros, accelerometers. And we partnered with Apple, Verizon and Best Buy and some of the big sports like uh, the San Francisco Giants and uh, Tennis Association, uh, PGA Tour, things like that. Um, and, and you got to see kind of from this was like 2010 through 15 that I was there. You guys see, it like, really from the inside of how to build a company from nothing to shipping product to global distribution. And, you know, at our peak, we're doing about 15 million in revenues and, you know, multiple stages of fundraisings from, you know, that pre seed and kind of family and friends round all the way through like a seed and, and ultimately like series B. And the, the company did list eventually, but. I think just being in there from the start and I would just recommend to any founders if you're curious or thinking about starting something, the best way if you're kinda of on the fence is join a, a early company when you know there's a lot of founders or, or maybe like senior executives that are are kind of debating whether or not they should start companies. And I, I think one of the best ways to really learn is like you're kind of drafting off a a, a founder that, you know, has raised some capital and kind of has a product already established and and you'll learn very quickly on a small team of maybe five, 10, 15 people. And so I, I learned like, you know, my mentor, he, he was at Apple and before that he sold a company into Cisco and things like that. So you can really learn a lot in that um, kind of framework. And, and then from there, you know, I, I went on started my own. That was that kind of health tech company in the <clears throat> medicinal cannabis space. And eventually I, I moved um, more into kind of an advisory and kind of board role uh, as that kind of exited um, and, and got deeper kind of into the blockchain uh, cryptography and kind of web three space uh, where there's an exchange here in San Francisco. This was kind of the 2017 run up with, you know, the last iteration of kind of ICOs and tokens were listing and you kind of went from like the one or two or 10 chains where, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum were kind of the main ones and a few others. And then there's this explosion, partly because of ERC-20 tokens. And everyone could kind of use that core kernel of code and then essentially make any, you know, any use case for any decentralized app application. So uh, it it was an interesting time to be in the space. We're going through another interesting time now. And, you know, I'm sure Dave will talk about it. He's got some strong opinions, too. But, you know, we're long-term builders and in, in, in long-term investors too. So, you know, whether or not there's ups or downs, it's like the stock market, you know, things will go up. And I've always, you know, been told it's like a yo-yo on an escalator, right? Like over the long term, if you're in it long enough, and Warren Buffett's kind of the master at this, um, you know, you're creating real value creation. So ultimately, it's going to to, to rise in the long term. And this is not investment advice. But, um, you know, we're really focused on kind of building and uh, investing in kind of these early, early stages. And, um, yeah, I mean, I can go deeper a little bit later, but I'll, I'll pass it off to Dave from there.
2: Sure. Thanks, Sam. Uh, yeah. Give a give a background about about myself uh, coming out of undergrad. I, basically right out of undergrad, I, I started working at Facebook. This was in a customer support role, which obviously doesn't exist anymore. It was user facing where someone could write into info at facebook.com and I would reset their password or tell them how to add a profile picture. Uh, um, You know, there were 180 or so people when I joined Facebook. Now, you know, pre-layoffs, there were 87,000 at Meta. Now there are 76,000 so learned and i think there were 50,000 by the time my time ended there in 2017 so i saw quite a bit and grew quite, quite a bit from 180 people to 50,000 people and 10 million people on facebook to 2 billion across facebook whatsapp instagram oculus uh probably for for getting some other some other services but really that shaped my my worldview in understanding just how powerful, uh, technology enabled protocols, systems, and tools were. And coming out of that, I I wanted to do a startup do my own thing. Uh, I can talk a bit around why I think social audio uh, will be a thing, but not until there's the next computing platform like AR slash VR. I, what, after winding that down in early 2020 right before covid i had always been involved in angel investing and I, I really started to grow fondness for investing because of the multidisciplinary approach that was required and the the breadth of understanding uh, as opposed to the very narrow focus of building a product especially at the early stages so uh, participated in the on deck uh, angel investing fellowship and was connected with AngelList and saw that there was a very easy way to spin up a fund, which I did. I spun up the fund one for Vibe Capital in July of 2021. Uh, it was uh, on the AngelList platform using the, the rolling rolling fund instrument. And that has gone, I would say, very well so far. Obviously, it's only been 18 months or so, uh, but we've already seen quite a few markups. Got connected with Tim in December of 20 or sorry, October of 2021, uh, worked together for, for a few months. And then he, he came on and we decided to to pursue this a little bit further. And then we decided to raise our fund to traditional $10 million fund in around April or May. And that's what we're doing right now. Um, and sure. I can, yeah, I can dive more into how we reached our thesis and what what the past year or so is, has taught us, but um, I'll pause there.
0: And, you know, taking a step back and, and really looking at your fund, can you walk us through your strategy investing into Web3, AI, and deep science?
2: Yeah, uh, taking a step, step back from why Web3, why AI, why deep science? What, what do we really think is happening in the world? So Tim and I had this discussion actually, you know, again, a few weeks ago of like, what do we look for in startups at the pre-seed and seed stage? Obviously founders have to be great. Obviously the product needs to solve a real problem, but the biggest thing is the is the market and what is happening in the macro environment. If you look at, Uh, the technologies that are starting to become adopted in the way that they're interacting with macro changes in the world. So thinking about that, like what is happening in the world right now? It's 2022, most of the systems that exist, whether it be government, finance, media, health, uh, any of these these power structures, they've been around and been in power since basically post-World War II. Now, you take a look at the world, and the world is very different than post-World War II, and because of that, the systems that are in place are not working anymore. Government isn't working anymore, and speaking from a, a U.S. but also global point of view, uh, finance not really working anymore, doesn't work for the majority of people. Healthcare doesn't work. Media doesn't work. There are multiple realities of how people think about uh, news and, and editorialization. So. We we took a look at that and said, "All right, um, what what does this remind us of, and and what do we think is gonna gonna happen?" Um, very similar to um, the the Reformation. Um, I don't know how many people know European history, but uh, Martin Luther posted a list of all these things that were wrong with the Catholic Church, which was the predominant power structure in the world at the time, and. Coming out of that, there was the Renaissance and then the Enlightenment, which was a dramatic shift in the world from several hundred years earlier. Um, this was spurred on by the printing press, which was the major technological innovation. We think that the the technologies of artificial intelligence, which uh, essentially, you know, if you, Steve Jobs says the computer is the bicycle for the mind, AI is the the Iron Man suit for the mind. It uh, gives people superpowers, basically, uh, in, in making, in dealing with large sets of data and, and decision-making um, and, and tooling for being able to manipulate uh, software and then eventually hardware. Crypto and Web3, which disintermediates the trust layer. So uh, if you take a look at any power structure they all have a centralized point of authority. The government, everything goes to the centralized point of authority. That's how people interact in a nation state. Healthcare, it goes through a doctor or the insurance systems. Media it goes through the New York Times or Fox News or whoever. Um, by getting rid of that, uh, that third party, people can start to interact one-on-one and rebuild their communities from the ground up in new and interesting shapes and configurations. And then finally, uh, deep science is, is really the application of technology to the physical world. So if you take a look at 1970, uh, the way that people communicate is incredibly different. Everyone has a, has a smartphone in their pocket. You can send full videos and it gets there in under a second. But in the physical world, not much has changed. It still takes 45 minutes to drive from Palo Alto to San Francisco um plane rides still take six hours if you want to ship a pallet of things like yes the um yes logistics have improved but not by not by a ton you know where are my flying cars basically so we think these three things are all gonna start to hit their their exponential uh curves right at the same time and the impact is going to be mind-boggling so i'll i'll pause there um And that is that is what we uh, what we are investing towards is people who share the same macro outlook. Um, And I I know Tim wants to chime in with something. uh,
1: No, I'm completely 100 percent aligned with Dave and, you know, we're partners. So we've discussed this and, you know, even some of the founders, they're very much aligned with how we kind of think, you know, long term and where, you know, the, the industry is going as a whole and the, the world, you know, as Dave was kind of laying out there, but, you know, at, at the core of like venture capital, there's different levels and, and kind of different ways that you can either, you know, start a fund or invest in a fund or, you know, Dave and I are constantly talking to other investors like many people might not know, but like, you know, you just think of Sequoia Capital or Excel or Lightspeed or, you know, these huge, huge funds andreessen on, you know, Sand Hill Road. And that's where all the founders are like, oh, great. You know, this is who I go to to get our capital. But those, a lot of the, the, the venture funds, they have to go up to their investors too, which are oftentimes, at that stage, it's oftentimes endowments and universities and um, pension funds and, and sovereign wealth for the really, really big ones, Right. Um, but, you know, at the smaller scale, scale even at the very, 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 smallest, right, it might just be a, a solo GP or a, a couple angel friends that, you know, gather together and, and they're writing kind of small checks. Uh, but ultimately, like, you have to be mindful of the macro markets and, you know, look at the public equities, not just in the US and Europe and China itself, right, or, you know, Asia, I know you're based out there. Um, but if, if that starts dipping, right, and, you know, we've already lost, I think it's 30%, you know, depending on which index you're looking at, um, you know, 15 to 30, call it that. Like that, that has a, you know, adverse effect in terms of who's raising the capital when. A lot of these funds have raised previously in the kind of, you know, pandemic era of, like 2020, 2021, going into 2022. And then everything kind of paused. So they're sitting on a lot, lot of dry powder. But if you're a founder, you really want to know, like, you know, how much capital have they raised? Who are some of these other invest investments that they've deployed to? Um, you know, who's kind of their target focus? Because ultimately, it, it does matter. And, and just, you know, Dave and I's conversations with other investors were pretty well connected, not only at the kind of pre-seed and seed stage, which we like, but also, you know, our, our kind of model is you know get that zero to one from you know the founders we have even at the napkin stage where it's really just you know founder referrals and, and trust maybe they've had a multiple exit all the way up to you know like university graduates or mul- multiple time founders or they just left uh, you know apple or google or or meta or twitter or something right like there's different types of founders and and you just have to know kind of who who you're backing but also from a founder's perspective like which firm you're going to go with and then also which partner and who you're going to be working with there because it it does matter and one of our kind of longer term thesis that we like to say is play long-term games with long-term players and that means you know like who are you working with and like you know it, it really is almost like a lot of these companies are longer than some marriages right so who your investors are they're going to be on your team and you want them in your corner when things go bad like the the theranos which is in the news now or the ftx like you know that's when your investors the ones that really care you're going to know because they're going to have your back and the ones that don't just gave you the money that you're not going to hear from them
0: fair point here guys and when it comes to uh thinking through major web 2 funds and that transition into the web 3 industry with billions of dollars to invest how do you see that changing landscape uh in your eyes
2: so there there are a couple things that um you can you can i I think take away from their approaches the uh, maybe you've heard of the innovate innovators dilemma clayton christensen I think it applies to it for people who aren't aware. I'll explain it, but I'll probably probably butcher it. But let's say you're uh, IBM in the in the '80s, and you say you see that uh, desktop computers are coming, or uh, the internet is coming, but your your entire business model is mainframe computers. You have you have one of two options. One option is you maintain the same status quo because you're the you're the world leader in selling mainframe computers and just kind of put your head in the sand. And two is you uh, attempt to uh, you attempt to completely change what it is you're doing and thereby give credence and give your blessing to these new startups that uh, through virtue of their their speed and their culture are paving the way for these new paradigms um, like, you know, a a Dell computer, or if you go even further down the line, you know, like a a Snapchat. Um, So I I think the same thing applies to traditional VC firms, not that they're incapable of making the transition and becoming uh, and understanding what exactly is necessary to support a web three company or protocol versus a web two company or protocol, but, um, it takes a lot of work to disrupt yourself on a personal level, and it takes even more work to dis- to disrupt something that is going extraordinarily well um, to thrive in a new landscape and ecosystem. So, um, some of the things that, and I think Andreessen, obviously, it, it remains to be seen what their what their funds look like after a few years. But I think Andreessen has done a great job of leading the way here, where. They've fully embraced decentralization, have invested in pseudonymous founders, uh, are contributing to uh, like GitHub repositories of, and, and code bases of some of these decentralized protocols, um, being good ecosystem partners. Um, that's, that's the kinds of things that you um, want and need to be able to speak the same language as the people who are building the future. Um, now the, uh, the other big question is they've raised so much money and is the ecosystem even prepared to invest, you know, a hundred billion dollars or whatever the case may be into, into web three. I am not quite sure. Like, are there even enough founders or startups in the world that are good enough to, to use that much money? And are they at that stage yet? Probably not. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Um, I would be, you know, I, I think funds like Andreessen are doing uh, a great job. It might be, they might've gotten out, you know, put the cart in front of the horse a little bit and got gotten out a little bit too far in front of their skis, but um, they're generally doing the the right things.
1: I, yeah, just to kind of reiterate what Dave's saying, I mean, ultimately, ch- change is difficult and hard for almost everyone. I mean, you know, everybody, you kind of get into a rhythm, you get into a flow, just on you know, individuals, families, friends, you know, everything, right? You kind of have routines. But also, you know, when you disrupt things like, you know, that's kind of the quote unquote a buzzword but things get thrown off right and you go down a different path and there was a time when everybody had nokia phones right and there was that snake game right and everybody was you, you know using sms messages right and then blackberry came along right and then out of nowhere apple drops the iphone right and then google comes out with android and next thing we know we have three three billion um mobile phones or whatever the number is and it allows for a new uh, ecosystem, essentially, right? Where now you have developers that, in you know, in the early two thousands, when there was like the first wave of, you know, desktop and .com one or whatever you want to call it, it, there was no mobile. You couldn't develop on it, right? Or if you if you could, it didn't have the distribution to get to literally half the the globe, right? And and all of this, it, it doesn't just come you know, overnight, like all that infrastructure, you had to go from like the networks had to get upgraded to 3G and now we're on 5G or, you know, LTE or whatever it is. And all all of it kind of happened slowly, but then suddenly, and then next thing, you know, Apple's like a couple trillion, Google's a couple trillion, Amazon, right? I mean, you know, you can cut it in half because of the the public markets, but they're still really, really valuable companies. And, you know, if you look at the advertising models, how kind of meta and Google and, twitter for better or worse you know that that all was built you know literally kind of on mobile and it also enabled during the pandemic for you know the economy to just not grind to a halt you know discounting all the kind of financial mechanisms that went into place and you know we're dealing with some of those repercussions now but you know the people were able to have you know their Amazon deliveries if you're in you know the states or Western Europe and same with like food deliveries and medicines and things like that. And I, I think all of this technology, yeah, I mean, we can like laugh at Twitter and you know talk about all the committees investigation committees with Facebook during election cycles and things like that. But you know there's not really good or bad. it's it's the tool. It's how you use it, right? I mean, a shovel could be bad too, right? You know, or it could dig trees and you know, plant the future, right? So you just have to think about how you are viewing things and in what context and on what time scale.
0: You are one of the very few emerging funds which put emphasis on deep science startups. What is your motivation behind this?
2: Couple things. One, I, I touched on this earlier, and that is around the relative lack of change we have seen in the physical world over the past 50 or so years. So that's the first thing around. There's so much opportunity there. First thing. Second thing is there's a narrative shift amongst, I wouldn't say everyone in the world, or it's something that you could ask a person on the street and they would tell you that this is something that is happening. But I think amongst builders on Twitter and quote unquote thought leaders, people people like Peter Thiel and Eli Dorado, Carlota Perez, around there's now an an appetite again to build in these spaces. And then third, I think the underlying technologies provide incentives to move forward in these spaces. Where prior, you know, in the in the sixties, you would need the resources of an entire government to shoot someone into space and make that kind of progress. Now with artificial intelligence and machine learning progressing at the rate that it is progressing, the sheer number of participants in the world that have access to nearly infinite information and collaboration tools via the internet and mobile phones and uh, decentralized financing structures through crypto and Web3 You get information and education, you get appetite and behavior change, you get participation that's a thousand X, and then you get money. That makes me, and you also get this huge market of like, if you can start manipulating physical space in a similar manner that you can with software, and you see all the amazing stuff we've done with software over the past 40 years, then you really start to get an excellent sci-fi future that could be really groundbreaking for uh, society and humanity.
0: And when it comes to your thesis, you mentioned climate change as a driver of volatility. Could you talk more to this point? It's just very interesting that as a Web3 AI deep science fund, that there's this climate change angle.
2: Yeah, I I mean, so all things being equal, this presupposes that people still have access to running water, clean air, uh, electricity. Um, They're not forced out of their homes by floods and other huge, huge events that that push people towards migration. Listen, like, working on a decentralized finance startup is great but if your house is underwater or there are wildfires that are you know pushing you to to move somewhere else you're probably not going to be able to to do it so this is going to push um you know necessity is the mother of all invention uh, there was a huge uh huge amount of turmoil in the 1930s and 1940s and coming out of that you saw the boom of the '50s and the '60s, and lots of technological innovation. Uh, this is really going to be a forcing function, similar to how COVID was a forcing function for uh, lots of leaps and breakthroughs in in various
1: areas. To add, add on to what Dave's saying. I mean, we're we're not the only ones that you know are kind of agreeing with this. There's the huge COP27 summit. One of our portfolio founders was actually out there. You know, a, a lot lot of energy and, you know, kind of the ways that governments are devoting resources or how, you know, advanced economies and kind of developing economies are, are sharing the burden and, you know, the, the future. I I You know, I, I don't think um, just creating, this is just my personal view, it might or might not reflect others. I, I don't think creating pools of capital and then everybody fighting over the pie is the way to solve it. I honestly think it's through innovation and technology where you know, the future advancements of maybe it's in, in new ways that we have urban living or, or, you know, more climate sustainable ways of, like Dave was saying, electricity. And there's huge droughts in the West out, out here. Um, you know, they're they're talking about desal, desalinization. They're doing a lot of that in Israel as well. So, you know, there I think there's a way that we can kind of, you know, everybody – And we've been doing it for decades. Kind of stick your head in the sand and and you know just try to fight for what's left, or you can innovate your way out. And we're not the only ones saying this. I mean, John John Doerr, who's a very famous you know successful uh, venture capitalist here in Silicon Valley over many many decades. uh, He invested, I think, the largest in the last you know few decades in creating a new school it's the school of sustainability at stanford university right and, and and it's to focus because his thesis in theory is that the next you know google's and apples and facebook's or metas and all that is going to come you know because you're solving huge huge problems that are going to affect every person on the planet right and so that's one of the reasons you know being in this space and kind of in this domain like we see an opportunity as well
0: so looking at this From a macro view perspective, where you refer to near future equals reformation and Renaissance, could you elaborate more on this?
2: Just to start off, history never repeats, but it often rhymes because who are the main participants in history? Humans. Humans haven't really changed since we were on the plains of sub-Saharan Africa 150,000 years ago. It's the same, the same mechanics, the same chemistry. So things tend to play out somewhat, somewhat similarly. So the, the reformation was 1500s. Martin Luther posted a treatise where he says, these are all the things that are wrong with the power structure. Uh, A lot of change came out of that. And that led to the, uh, that led to the Renaissance um, and a, a complete overhaul of who was, who was in charge and what the power structures were more equitable, more just, more transparent. Of course, nowhere near close to perfect in terms of equity and, and justice and transparency, but a lot better um, than in the dark ages. And we think something similar is going to happen on a much more compressed timeline across the entire world. So uh, o- these things could only happen in, in Europe because uh, the... The power structures of the Catholic Church, who was the predominant uh, power structure at the time in Europe, was the that was the only uh, power that was being uh, affected by the Reformation. Um, But now we're sort of in a a global collective intelligence of the Internet. Uh, You see, I don't know if you saw, but Elon Musk literally just posted a Twitter poll asking, should Donald Trump be brought back onto Twitter. And that is now how things work. Uh, it's just a Twitter poll, and everyone in the world gets to vote on it. so the the speed, it's not going to take hundreds of years. It'll probably take somewhere between ten and twenty years. but uh, you know I'll bet you <laughs> I'll bet you a lot of money that in fifteen to twenty years, things are gonna look very, very, very different than they did uh, fifteen years ago now, which was two thousand and seven. The, the rate of change is just going to increase quite a bit.
1: And for sure, because like th- that's the only constant in life and in the world is change, right? It, it might come slower, but ultimately we're all changing. Every cell in your body is changing. And I think just real quick to wrap on this point, what Dave was just talking about, ultimately technology, as I was saying earlier, like it, it's how you use it. it. Can it be used for good or bad? It, it, it's neither. It's just what is the way that it's used? And, and I think there's a lot of technologies that are being developed now that will have applications and uses in the next 10, 15, 20 years and, you know, generations for your kids and your grandkids that we don't even know, right? And and I think we have to be mindful of how we're, you know, thinking about how these are going to be used by many, many people and many, you know, different use cases. and you know, everything is not a panacea. Like, you know, one technology isn't used for everyone. But I will say, like, for all its faults and everybody loves to dump on tech, especially when things are a little chaotic and crazy at times. But, you know, for for better or worse, like, most people, it's pretty much advanced a lot of humans' lives in in terms of the the way that we've been able to, you know, just using – electricity right and a lot of people take that for granted but 100 to you know 200 years ago there was no electricity we're all using candles and stuff right even the wealthiest person or the jp morgans or carnegie's like they couldn't afford it and if they did it was very very expensive right because they were subsidizing those costs so that everyone could have it and it was a commodity at one point so in the future, a lot of these things that are very new or very expensive, like electric vehicles or, you know, we're big AI investors and self-driving cars and deliveries and things like that and flying rockets or whatever. Like, it's all funny and kind of space tech or, you know, sci-fi, but in the future, it takes investment and capital and risk, and then th- that becomes more commoditized if all society, you know, agrees to use it in the future
0: on another hand you have a very interesting approach to investing which is towards oyster and pearls what do you mean by that
2: yeah so it's a terminology i forget where i stole it from but uh okay let's say you're diving um and you you see you see an oyster um, I actually am allergic to shellfish, but before I became allergic to shellfish, I loved oysters and that's kind of the, the treasure, but it takes a, a lot of force to get the treasure from outside that hard exterior. That's the one thing, one of the uh, sets of companies that we're investing in. Hey, it's a hard nut to crack, but if you crack it open, the rewards are immeasurable. And this is similar to, we invested in a company called Rosotics, which is trying to revolutionize 3D printing. We invested in a company called Pipe Dream Labs, which is uh, attempting 30-second delivery via underground tubes. So, in- incredibly difficult to do, but hey, you crack it open—that's a trillion dollars. And then there are the things that are just like not necessarily um, easy to do, but more obvious, um, and there's less of a less of a lift from a changing the perception of the world um changing the perception of the world um kind of kind of work where uh these things are already in the vanguard a little bit but um they they still have a measurable value um things like we in, invested in an ai safety startup um called uh mission control or take um and you know people understand the need for ai safety but it's still a, still a difficult, difficult task. But if you get it right, you can sell to every business in the world. So um, those are the two types of uh, companies that we really look for. Um, both have to have more than 10x, you know, hopefully 100x returns, not financial advice. Uh,
0: to wrap up our call with our last question for the day, what piece of advice would you give to people out there from the journey you've had thus far in life?
2: Yeah, I think top of mind is place asymmetric bets. Uh, You know, what asymmetric means is, okay, the worst that could happen is it goes to zero. But the best that could happen, it happens is it a thousand X's or 10,000 X's. An asymmetric bet would be something like uh, building a startup or investing $1,000 $1,000 into Bitcoin in 2013, something that, and, and you know, I'm not saying uh, bet your rent on it or whatever the case may be, but put yourself in a position to make these asymmetric bets because those are the ones that have completely outsized returns on, on the trajectory of your life. And it doesn't have to just be financial. It could be interpersonal or, uh, or another community building or, or something else.
1: Yeah, I would. I would just say, um, you know, we're we're all figuring it out as we go. <laughs> I I don't mean that facetiously, but you know, if somebody says they have all the answers, you know, might question twice because, um, especially being in new technologies, there, there's things that we see that, you know, you don't even know what's coming, right? So I, I think it's exciting in the sense of like you you get a glimpse kind of into the future sometimes, which is super cool. A, a lot of these are, are going to fail. You know, Dave and I have been on both sides of that, both as an investor and a founder. Um, you know, that being said, you know, there's brilliant successes as well. Um, and I, I think, you know, having all of that, I just to, to wrap it up, I, I, I'd say somebody once, you know, mentor, advisor told me, if, if you can answer what, you'll have a job you know for life if you can answer why you'll you'll be that person's boss and just to kind of enunciate or dig you know double click as we like to say on that um you know a lot of times you you kind of answer like what am i doing who am i doing it with and then why and you'll answer in that order and i've come to find and especially as i've gotten a little older and a little more mature if you answer that in reverse and you really focus and start on like why am i doing this like on anything, right, in in your career, in your life, with your partners, whoever, and, and then bringing it back to, like, who are you doing it with, because that's really, like, your tribe, and, you know, your family, friends, you know, colleagues, all that really matters, ultimately, and then, you know, then you really focus on what you're doing, and, and kind of figure out your plan and action, and go forward from there, but, you know, it's a short life, we're all here on this spinning rock for, for just a blip of time, so make the most of it.
0: So for people out there who are interested in maybe catching a cup of coffee with you or reaching out to you, Tim and Dave, what would be the best point of contact?
2: Yeah, I am on Twitter at Dave Goldblatt. Uh, I also, you know, feel free to email me, davidbobcap.co. I'm in San Francisco, so happy to grab a coffee there. Um, And if you are interested in becoming an LP in our fund. We are a 506C fund, so I can advertise becoming an LP. Um, Our fund two still has allocation open. Uh, Go to vibecap.co and you can check out our portfolio companies in fund two. Again, email David vibecap.co and we can have a conversation.
1: And Any founders that are interested and aligned and um, just curious or want to meet, you can always ping us at vibes at V-I-D-E.co.
0: Dave and Tim, it was a pleasure having you on Geeks of the Valley, and thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: This podcast is brought to you by PyTone, an Asian based open source enterprise software company. PyTone offers a suite of software applications and infrastructure services to scholars and universities.